You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! So essentially, the the genesis of me wanting to speak with you uh, is I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast last night. Okay. And um, essentially, he and Ryan Rosillo were talking about the whole Anthony Davis situation. And I really, really, really hated the way they were characterizing it. Because for for whatever okay. because for whatever reason something about this particular incident all of a sudden Anthony Davis is a bad guy. Have you uh-huh. have, have you noticed this? Where I have I have noticed this actually, and I I I, I don't want to talk to you about it here because I want to keep the energy for the podcast. But I have opinions. <laughs> well, this is this is the podcast. We're going, baby. Oh, oh, we're going. We're going. We're, we are. We are going. Okay, you know this okay. is. So, okay, so let me let you, since it's it's on already, let me let you finish your point about how he's being mischaracterized so I can appropriately uh, discuss it. Well, I just noticed there's, A, how this particular situation, for for whatever reason, seems to be being characterized differently than other times stars have wanted to leave their situation. Or at least, at least communicate, hey, I'm not going to resign with you, so you might as well trade me. Um, right. And uh, because I mean, not that long ago, Kristaps Porzingis uh, said he wanted to leave the Knicks, but it happened so quick, no one. It was no time for people to really get angry with him. Apparently, it was the Knicks. When he does that, it's the Knicks' fault. It's because the Knicks suck, right? Right. When right. Anthony Davis wants to leave, it's because he's selfish. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on, a lot to unpack here. So let me. Uh, there's a player I'd like to discuss um, that I think people don't bring up in this discussion that proves the you know, the mischaracterization of Anthony Davis, and that player is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler did exactly what Charles Barkley said. He played his butt off during the season. He took the team farther than they'd been basically, you know, in, in I don't know, 14 years, I think it was. Um, and then in the offseason, he says, hey, I'm not signing with you. I don't like it here. Move me. 
and they refused. And he had to make the situation super ugly in order to get out of there, right? So that is another variable. The, the organizations, well, people, people talk about the organization as if they will ever work in good faith. Organizations are going to work in their best interest, and the players, according to the collective bargaining rules, have to do whatever they can to get the most out of the situation when they're already guaranteed to lose a, a lot of money if they don't resign with their own team. And particularly if you're a superstar of Davis's level, you're talking about, you know, years and years and years of your prime that go away. And he gets injured a bunch. So he has less swings at it than a guy like LeBron, who's, you know, who didn't start missing games until he was 34 years old. So, and when you look at the Kristaps situation, in in Kristaps' defense, He's saying that the real story will come out and blah, blah, blah. I think what happened with the Knicks is they wanted to move on and were looking for any good reason to move on. They clearly yeah, didn't I, do I anything. Right, right. What the Pelicans did, I think out of the three organizations, they actually are more like the Timberwolves than anything else. They wanted to hold on to their guy at all costs, didn't want to trade him. And in their defense... They did acquire decent talent around him. I think that Tim, that uh, Pelicans team is a little maligned for their performance because it was really injury. I think if Alfred Payton and Miritich didn't get hurt, I think they'd be competitive. And Anthony Davis wanted to give them the shot. The problem comes when, and this is where I related to the Jimmy Butler situation. If if we think for one second that Anthony Davis could have quietly said to them. Hey guys, I'm not going to resign in a couple of years. I'd prefer to be traded at this deadline, uh, at the very, you know, earliest possible, and at at worst case scenario during the off season. And they'd say, "All right, Anthony, we respect your wishes. We're, let's just play out the season and see how it goes." You're crazy. The moment he lets them know that, they're going to try to manipulate the system in every way to get the best out of it, whether it's keeping him. Or making him feel like he has less options. And that's the key. It's all about leverage. And when we malign the players, we completely let these incompetent organizations off the hook for both not being the kind of place where a guy wants to stay. In the case of the Timberwolves, overpaying Andrew Wiggins. In the case of New York, having 20 years of terribleness. (laughs) And in the case of the Pelicans, you know... They didn't put a superstar team around him, and they had a pretty long time to get him a second superstar, and they did. And this is a black mark, and people don't realize this. They did get rid of Buddy Heald. This guy is going to be an all-star, and he could have been next to next to Anthony Davis right now, and they could have been saying, hey, with Drew Holiday and Buddy Heald and Julius Randle, we can, we can do things, man. They can't say that now. There's no all-star on his team. And the guy they traded for tore his Achilles. I mean, it's just, I think even if you go back to the like 2015 teams when they had uh, Eric Gordon and uh, Tyreek Evans and Ryan Anderson, you those are three super high-powered uh, offensive guys combined with Drew. Yep. That team was fixed to win right away, and literally all four of those dudes Missed Broke an down. insane amount of games. All of a sudden, I couldn't believe it. Eric Gordon went to the Rockets. All of a sudden, this motherfucker's playing seventy-eight games. Like, where was you? Where were you when you were with yep. uh, when you were with uh, 
them, and then Tyreek goes, can answer goes that to Memphis and bit. averages 20 a game. I mean. So here's the answer to that question. There's a rumor that their medical staff, that the, that the Pelicans organization doesn't get the respect from the you know the sports conglomerate over there that everything is all new orleans and that they're it's all saints right it's saints exactly it's all saints and that the basketball players don't get the kind of treatment they would get in the top-notch medical nba organizations which is why guys break down there so often yeah that's 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 what's been put out there well so i i actually want to kind of hone in on a bigger picture element of this because i think I just want to know why all of a sudden, because according to, and because I, I'm not important enough to be on Bill Simmons' podcast, and I can't argue with him, you you are gonna <laughs> you have to stand in as my straw man. Unfortunately. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and they were honing in on this idea around, well, the player empowerment movement. It's finally gone too far. And I'm like, it's, I'm like, that's strange. He's like, well, it's, there's two years left on his deal. I was like, no, there's not. There's a year and like three months left on his deal. So let's keep it real. Um, yeah. And more than likely, the reason why he wanted to go now is that every, when you're, they don't, I think they fail to understand that there's only so many years you get to do this, right? 100%. This team is not going to the playoffs. So if he stays with New Orleans, that's just another year he gets to not contribute to something that matters and i think yeah, part- particularly when they look like they're going to miss the playoffs right no now. they're going to miss the playoffs i'm sorry they're right. going they're well, going I, I mean at the time that he made his request uh at the time he made his request you could say well if you get back and everybody's healthy maybe you have a shot but no, and now it is definitely over listen now. they happened to be a little bit below uh where they needed to be in the one year where we had the most parity Ever and they just yeah. happen to be in the wrong conference, so it's bad luck in a year of other bad luck. So, yep. but the but the general point is, is that I personally think what's better if Anthony Davis does a tells you in advance he's not going to resign and says you might as well trade me, or he's like a Kevin Durant or LeBron did with Cleveland and just say nothing and just leave. What is I would think giving me advance notice is better or is doing me a I don't, favor. Uh, yeah. I wish I wish I could disagree with you harder because you're 100% right. If you look at Indiana, Paul George saved that organization by not screwing them over. And I think the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, and Westbrook and Steven Adams don't get enough credit for what happened when they basically lost Kevin Durant for nothing. Like most teams, if you lose an, NB, an MVP for nothing, it's – tragic for you like you're totally done after that because you were built around that talent and then it's just gone there's a vacuum uh indiana if he had done that to indiana they would most likely be a complete lottery team like really really down there and indiana is not a place that attracts free agents so they'd have to draft another Paul george in order to get back now they have a perennial all-star in Victor Oladipo, and they're, they're in the playoffs all the time. And Paul George doesn't get credit for that, even though he took a lot of heat, and he did everything the right way. You know, internally in the organization, they don't hate Paul George. They're grateful for him for that, but that's not the narrative. Well, I, I'm starting to realize, essentially, what we are seeing is a general pettiness, and the, the, the uh, organizations take it personally, Right. And the truth is, almost every time a superstar leaves, right, 
the team wins that ultimately ends up winning the trade. So let's so let's let's go down it. So Carmelo Anthony gets, you know, leaves Denver, and they get all their basically all the Knicks assets. And you look at what Denver has done in the subsequent years, and they are are vastly healthier franchise, right? They're set up. They're doing great. Orlando. Here's what's hilarious. The two centers, they they had Marcin Gortat left over, and they got Vucevic within like you know a bunch of pick swaps. Both of those guys subsequently have been more effective than Dwight Howard in recent years. And the only reason Orlando hasn't been good is because they suck as a as a franchise. They've given away like three yeah. great uh, lottery picks for nothing, basically for no reason. They just run mm-hmm. a, a bad franchise. Uh, Utah has done great after they they got rid of. Um, Duran, Duran Williams, you go down the line. I mean, LeBron leaves Cleveland, and they get the number. One, they get Kyrie. Uh, Chris Paul leaves New Orleans, and they get Anthony Davis. Like, there's no instance where it's like we lose our guy, and it's all up. no motherfucker. You're right back. Just but they're yeah. so fixed on we're never gonna recover, and it's just, and it's this woe is me bullshit. And it's almost every time the teams that trade for the guy. Right, they end up getting screwed over. Right, it was the Lakers who had a bunch of shit years after they got Dwight Howard. It was the Knicks who had a bunch of shit years right. after they right. got, they got Carmelo. Anthony, yeah. So we're starting to see what is the value. I mean, look at with Minnesota. I mean, they they did all this to to get Jimmy Butler, and they're kind of right back where they were. Yeah, you know, I think th- there's a couple of points. I think. On the one side, we have an irrational corporate forgiveness. And when I say corporate forgiveness, I just mean the authority of the organization gets a pass for making bad decisions. When a player misses a shot, when a player doesn't get back on defense, they kill him in the papers. But when a team drafts Lonzo Ball over De'Aaron Fox, they don't kill him. You know, when a team drafts, who did they draft? I think D'Angelo Russell over Christoph Porzingis. They don't kill them, you know? They don't get beat up for bad draft picks and bad trades as much as the player does for their individual mistake. They might, you know, chirp about it when it's time to talk about those things, but when the repercussions of those things happen, the team is not brought back up out of it. So all of these teams that we've discussed are paying for past mistakes. Like, I think the Buddy Heald mistake was a really big mistake because Buddy Heald was projected to be exactly what he is. He's a lights-out shooter, great scorer. The guy's got a dog in him. He wants to perfect his game. They simply didn't develop him properly, and now they're letting Sacramento profit from it. We talked about the Lakers. They're paying for bad drafting. And even the Knicks with the Porzingis I disagree with the Lakers. I think the Lakers drafted overall well. They just... They drafted well late. No. Well, okay. Let me say this. Yo, Randall is giving you 20 and 10 on like 60% shooting. And, uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell is an all-star who keeps developing. If they would have literally just kept those guys, right? Along with all the other guys. I'm telling you, you took those two guys plus LeBron... They would be a playoff team, even if he missed all those games. Or, I am very or, excited to argue Lakers with you. Let me finish this point on Anthony about, Davis. Sorry we, about that. we could talk. We could talk about Lakers all night because uh, there's a lot to to, to discuss there. Uh, but what I will say about Davis that I think his um, I don't know if I want to call it a mistake, an error in judgment, or whatever. But I don't think it's a positive. I don't think he wanted to make this request in the summer because two years of Anthony Davis. They could get a lot for 
Yeah. Right? See, now you're talking about a year and a half, which is not a lot because you don't get a training camp. You're giving up assets to get him, blah, blah, blah. But if you say, give me two years of Anthony Davis, almost any team is going to be like, yeah, let's do it. Like teams he doesn't want to go to. And I think he waited. He tried to wait until it was the perfect time to be traded. And that's a decision that he's paying for. Can I, can I, can I give a caveat to that? I don't think Please. that's true. Let's, here's the real truth of it. His team decided oh, yeah, it sure. was a time. We, we are giving this individual way too much credit. The truth is these well, guys are run yeah. like a business. And there are mentally a, and strategically, you're right. But in reality, who plays his team? Who who? What's I'm sorry. Who was who, who pays his team? Who's he, who, who? Who? Where do they get their checks from? Who pays the team? I mean the fans. Yeah. No, Anthony. I'm, oh, I'm talking about Anthony Davis and his representatives. Oh, who like, pays them? Anthony, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anthony pays those guys to make those decisions for their expertise. So and, if, and I, and, and right. I think ultimately what happened was his team. In collusion with LeBron <laughs> and the you know the or, you know the Lakers and Clutch and all that, essentially made a decision, and they miscalculated the fact that the Pelicans were just petty and were just yes. gonna, and we're going to toy with them. <laughs> the Pelicans. <laughs> and it, well, it's I'll, I'll be honest. I don't. If I could have got all those young guys and two or three draft picks, I I can't really. Unless somehow whoever gets Zion, right, and then you get a collection of stuff with Zion, you know. But is Jason Tatum going to be that much better than those guys? I don't know that. Everyone's telling me that, um, but I, I actually think those players are are pretty good. And I think you have to look at the idea of what it's kind of done to the the toxicity, you know, of of the franchise that you basically have to live with this cloud over your head. For however longer, remember that the the Dwight Mayor, remember that shit. Like it, yeah, it yeah. just lingered, and it's instead of saying, "Hey, let's be dispassionate, let's do this quickly," it's get or they just were so uh, fascinated by maybe getting Zion or what the Celtics have to offer that they're just gonna wait. I get that, um, but I I'm I truly think that that was an organizational misstep on his team's end. And he was basically caught up in it. He was probably listening to people they thought knew better than he did. And he and the franchise now have to face the consequences. And look what happened to the Lakers. It's a fucking mess over there. So it was literally yeah. every single entity lost in mm-hmm. this endeavor. But I, I, just, I agree with that. I give him a little more responsibility than you do because I think when you hire the people and you follow their judgment, you do ultimately have veto power. And he could have ultimately said, I think this is bad timing. I know these people. They're going to be petty. Now, he might not know that, um, but that's the risk you take because these are high-risk scenarios. And they they took a risk, uh, him and his team. It didn't pan out. And the organization took a risk by not trading him. I don't necessarily agree with you about the Lakers package. I do think Jason Tatum tracks as a much better single player than um, – the rest of the Lakers guys. Is it enough to balance out the whole package with all of the draft picks Boston has? It depends on what they would have been. Well, Boston couldn't make a deal, but what are they willing to offer you this, this season? I don't know if I'm Boston, if I sell the farm for Anthony Davis. And that's the thing. If, and this, this is where the organ is the Pelicans are 
putting out a great risk. If Boston doesn't lay out all of their chips for Anthony Davis for any reason, whether it's because Kyrie doesn't sign, whether it's because Jason Tatum just looks too good in the offseason, whether it's because Jalen Brown explodes or something like that, Gordon Hayward has a resurgence, whatever it is, if they decide we can't blow this whole thing up for an injury-prone center who hasn't won yet, you know, power forward center who hasn't won yet, then what happens is the market value of Anthony Davis goes down because they know that he's not going to resign with the rest of them and they're not competing against a great bid anymore. So the Pelicans also took a risk by not trading him. And, and in that sense, I agree with your point because the guaranteed money was they had all of these assets coming in. Because I do think Lonzo Ball is... He's compelling he's to a, me. He's Jason Kidd. He's a flawed player, but he is a compelling player because he does have the excellent court vision. Uh, he does play with a lot of effort and skill on the defensive end and will probably always be a very good defensive player because of his size and range. And he hasn't grown into his body yet. The alarming thing is the free throws. The shooting, there's a lot of good players who can't shoot. But the free throws... It, it, it ruins his game in a sense of any point guard. And you can see this in young Rondo. You can see this in Ben Simmons. And you could also see this in LeBron James, who technically wasn't a point guard, but he's a point forward. When they have issues shooting free throws, their game changes in the fourth quarter, and that ruins you in the playoffs. And it's going to cost you until they improve that free throw shot. And that's, that's the alarming thing about Lonzo Ball. Everything else, it's kind of like at the end of the day, at the very worst, he's an average starting point guard, right? The problem with Brandon Ingram is not his individual talent, which he's shown flashes of. It's the fact that he doesn't work on that team. Brandon Ingram needs to be on Orlando, where they can just give him the ball, let him use his playmaking skills, because he's a ball-on-the-hand kind of guy. Sticking him out there to shoot threes, not a great situation. So let's go ahead and fully transition into the Lakers here. I don't think the Lakers drafted well up at the top of the draft. I think they drafted okay and poorly because they always had a better player drafted after their guy. However, the part where I agree with you is the higher crime of the Lakers is the uneven development of their talent. For instance, their biggest crime probably is D'Angelo Russell. Because the guy, he looks like, you know, James Harden light over in, in uh, Brooklyn. And he looked like he had those talents in L.A., but he was extremely immature. And it wasn't just the Nick Young scenario. If you watch the Lakers, his immaturity was kind of a daily, weekly issue in various ways. Really? There you was, mean 19-year-olds are immature? Exactly. Wow. So hey, crazy. Oh, oh, this, this teenager is not an adult. Surprise, surprise. The organization was such a mess that his mistakes, they couldn't recover from. And that was the issue. Like, people always complain about the Kobe Bryant contract, but the reason they, they gave Kobe Bryant that contract is because nothing else about the Lakers would have sold tickets and put people in the seats besides the fact that they had Kobe Bryant. The organization was a complete mess and Kobe's last couple of years, and in the years immediately after Kobe. I'm sorry. This, this. I'm just going to put it out there. The Lakers 
are not well run and they haven't been well run for basically since Dr. Buss died. And I think they basically got lucky with LeBron. I think LeBron just wanted to come there and and there was very little they did outside of having kind of a, a nice little pool of talent and it being LA. I don't think there was anything out of there. It'd be the same thing with, with the Knicks. If they get some big, uh, free agents it's just more like the free agents were like yep we want to go to new york but it wasn't like because the franchise itself was just killing it i think all you need to know about what magic johnson knows about talent and basketball is to go back and read his old tweets he would tweet the most obvious dumbest Mm -hmm. things i have ever i'm like (laughs) just i I, it's i guess it's in, in some ways it's like the phil uh, Phil Jackson running the Knicks. It's like we think just because someone is really brilliant at one thing that that you just put them elsewhere and they're going to kill it. Um, and obviously, Magic Johnson, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, basketball genius, amazing and business, business business yeah, owner. Yeah. You know, obviously excelled there. And he, you know, from a personality and I guess branding standpoint, there's no one else you'd want at the helm more than him. But there's nothing he's done that compels me to believe that he's good at his job or that anyone has, you know, what they're talking about, the Luol Dang contract or the, uh, the uh, Mozgov contract. And like I said, in trading away these young guys or just letting Julie, Julius Randle sign for $9 million. Okay, let's talk, about, crazy. let's talk about Julius Randle for a second, right? Because Julius Randle is the perfect thing that I'm talking about, whereas LA is such a mess, we don't even know who to blame. So the knock on Luke Walton, and you said they got lucky with LeBron. I actually don't know if they got lucky. I think LeBron could be a trap player right now. And here's why. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. LeBron has such a short window of success that you have to make every decision for that window. And going into that window, there are a couple of decisions that you'll make that you'll say, oh man, I don't know about that one. Luke Walton, I think, could be one of those things. People are getting on Luke Walton like he's a terrible coach. I heard a great line about LeBron James. Somebody said, he reminds me of Galactus. He's very powerful, but he sucks the power out of his friends in order to be that powerful. Right? Yeah. He sucks the power out of the people around Comical him. Comical reference for you uh, non-nerds out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, they watch the movies now. They get it. He's not here. He ain't showed up yet. Yeah. I know. We got the Fantastic Four back at Marvel, so he, he on the way. It's coming. So, so here's the thing, right? That's true for LeBron James. And LeBron James, when he doesn't back a coach, that coach becomes a target. I don't know if it's fair to call him a coach killer in the direct sense that he's undermining the coach at every turn. But it's true that if LeBron just said – we're riding or dying with Luke. Let's do the best that we can for Luke. I think the Lakers would be better and Luke's job would be safe because there's a lot of guys on that team that need to shut up and listen to what Luke says until he's not there anymore, right? And the thing about Luke, going back to your Julius Randle point, they said the Lakers aren't developing young players. They screwed up D'Angelo Russell. Lonzo Ball was a bad draft pick compared to who they could have gotten. Right, there are several other players that they could have gotten that would have been better draft picks. Yeah, they got caught up in the hype. They 100% did, and that's one of the worst things you can do as an organization. You're supposed because the thing is, as as fans, we don't watch every college game, we don't talk to the coaches. These guys have scouts that can do all of that. They work them out. They see them directly. So you looked at Jason Tatum 
and Donovan Mitchell and all these other players and you said and De'Aaron Fox and you said that's my guy and that was clearly wrong from for many reasons that are pretty obvious to us now that we've gotten the chance to see them in the way that they should have seen them before but on the flip side Kuzma and Julius Randle were actually developed quite well uh, for the Lakers Julius Randle Last year was going to be a be- was a beast at the end of the season. He was yeah. amazing at the end of the season. He yeah, was he, clearly a very good player. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of buried on the bench at the beginning of the season and just kind of exploded. I mean, the guy, he's he's like, um, you know, Zach Randolph on on steroids. You know, absolutely, he's an athletic Zach Randolph, right? Yeah. And it's just, it, and I was surprised that they let him go because it was a success story for them. He was the guy that they drafted, a bit undersized, a bit chubby. You know, had the big what was a leg injury, I believe. Yeah, he like broke his um, leg on the opening night. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was when Kobe was still here. And then he comes back, gets himself into stellar shape. Uh, looks, you know, he has some flaws in his game. Only has a left hand, all this other stuff. And he just keeps working and working and working. Yada yada yada. The guy's in excellent shape. Same as Victor Oladipo. He had the same transformation, and he's developing a three point shot. And they let him go for nothing. That was a big, big mistake. And the same thing with D'Angelo Russell. And this is what I said. This or, is what I say about or, these or de facto, just cut you off, uh, Brooke Lopez, who signed for what, $3 million or something with. Oh uh, my God. So wouldn't you rather have Brooke Lopez than uh, whoever the collection of centers they have now? Which obviously I love Tyson, but he's a little past his prime. Yeah. And uh, we have, uh, what's his name? Uh, JaVale McGee. JaVale. To, to be fair, JaVale is now a solid NBA player. And when the Lakers are healthy, they're a good defensive team because of JaVale and Lonzo, uh, particularly. And Brandon Ingram when he's on the floor. Like, they, th- those guys allow them to have a good defense. And that's not said enough. Uh, how much of their season is the fact that they haven't been healthy. But And they could have had, Bo- had Boogie, putting that out there, too. And they could have had Boogie. So, you know, that's a situation where if they would have gotten value out of Randall, right? Not even kept him, but just get value for a guy of his worth. He's a guy who's going to give you, you know, 20 points, 7, 8, 9, 10 rebounds. He's learning to spread the floor. He's a young player, athletic. He's a real dog, obviously. You can get value for that. Well, they basically they got- traded him for Rondo because Rondo got $9 million and he was on right. New Orleans. So they basically right. that's what they did. And again, I like the Rondo acquisition, but they could have gotten Rondo anyway. Yeah. You know, uh, they could have gotten Rondo anyway. Rondo would have signed. And, and there's no guarantee that they have Rondo for next year because Rondo is clear. He's established his value in the league again. Uh, he's not the all-star that he, want, that, he, that he once was, but he's clearly an extremely intelligent player. Um, he's still got some juice left in him and he's developed a shot. I love Rondo. the whole Rondo. Yeah. The whole Rondo can't shoot thing is a complete myth, man. Um, and when Rondo and LeBron are in the court at the same time, I think there's something a little special going on there. So they, I think they need to retain Rondo, but they didn't get much out of Randall. Uh, they, Lopez has turned Milwaukee into the best team in the league record wise and probably the second best team in the league. However way you want to describe it. Yeah. Right. And he's one of the major reasons why L.A. could have had that with LeBron. Wouldn't LeBron love a center who stands outside and forces the big guy out of the paint? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. No, like, no I'm, 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 I'm totally with you. I agree with the, everything you just said. So I want to backtrack to these, these bigger picture ideas. And, and sure. some of these things that they were talking about on this podcast was the idea that 
culturally, we are shifting from, and I guess they're more talking about younger fans, that the fans are more into the idea of players, right? So we like we like LeBron. We're just going to follow LeBron wherever he goes, as opposed to teams. And that this is somehow a bad thing. And I think this is actually such an old man take that, <laughs> you know, because it's basically saying, uh, you know, we're not tribalistic enough, that we should be um, loyal to a logo. Like, for example, right. like, for example, and also, Doc, go ahead, please. please. No, no, but I'm, I'm just saying, imagine, you know, you have a favorite band, right? It's Guns N' Roses, and it's the name, uh-huh. but slowly but surely, each member leaves. There's and by the end place, of it, right. there's no, so now, am I, and, and Axel Rose goes starts a new band. Now, am right. I going to follow Guns N' Roses, Axel, the name? Or, or, or Chad lo- Kroger and Buckethead, that's the new Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> what you could have stick with, right? And by their logic, I would just stick, I'm staying with the logo. I'm saying, well, it's in my city. And I'm like, but it's just kind of a trick. They just have the same uniform and they're in the same place. But I think, first of all, I think the the theory is wrong in that, oh, people f- just follow players. Do you remember Michael Jordan? Like, See, that's people- the point I was going to make. It's worse than an old man argument. It's an old man lie. Yeah. I, I think... More so than Michael Jordan, I would actually point out Allen Iverson. Yeah. Where did all those 76ers fans go when it was Iggy and Drew Holiday making the playoffs? I didn't see them anywhere. When I was coming up. Yeah, they had notoriously bad um, attendance during those years, despite being really good. A hundred percent. And also, let's go to today. If you look at the top most profitable teams in the league and the top four or five, I know Knicks are number one and bulls who are the absolute worst organization in the league right now. They're the worst. They're like number four or five people still like their teams just because the player fact, the player element has become more of a factor. It doesn't mean anything has really changed. It's just more of a factor because the league is popular and the NBA has always been a personality led league. You know, you think when Barkley was on the Suns, all of those Phoenix fans were really just Phoenix fans. I've been to Phoenix. Have you been to Phoenix? I'm sure you had to play a show in Phoenix. Right? Of course, plenty, a million times. Right. So if, you, if you've been to Phoenix during like basketball time, they're not that, you know, it, they need Steve Nash or Charles Barkley in that city to hold that stadium up. Yeah. No offense to Phoenix. There's a lot of reasons. I it's love a transplant city. city, though. A hundred percent. And that's that, that manifests itself in a lot of beautiful ways, Doc. But <laughs> <laughs> but they're not a die hard sports town with a bunch of, you know, true blue, you know, I've been here since nineteen whatever Phoenix Suns fans. When they have the players, when Amari and Steve Nash are there, a lot of Phoenix Suns fans. When it's Devin Booker and, you know, uh DeAndre Ayton, give us a minute. And that's how it's always been. There's always been Fairweather fans. There's always been hometown people. And there have always been people who follow the players. Well, but I just don't, you know? I don't We all think... like the Sonics a lot more when it was Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. Yeah, but I just don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with it. Why is tribalism, hey, I like the people in blue. Like, that is so, like, to me, that is the kind of at the, uh, the point and center of homerism. And something clouding your your mind. Like me, I'm a Knicks fan, right? 
and I yeah. totally. I'm so sorry. And, yeah, and I had and I had a a very recent come to Jesus moment about how my fandom, like I realized how it was clouding my thinking, and I'll tell you why. Because I remember I'm on this like group text with with, with my buddies, and we're talking about Frank Nitlakina and Dennis Smith Jr. This is before the trade. And I'm just like, man, you know, Frank. This guy's going. He's going to be Tony Allen, you know, who can pass and shoot. He's going to get it together, and like every, every all his teams want him. Dennis Smith Jr. Man, that's just like you know, uh, Steve Francis. He'll be, you know, he, he's going to get a bunch of shots. And the moment they trade him, I was like, man, that Dennis Smith Jr. looks real good. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It, uh, here's the thing. I think part, I, honestly, uh, football used to be the biggest sport in America by a wide margin. Like even just like 15 years ago, football was way bigger than basketball. The gap has closed tremendously. But I think what's happened is that the ideas from football, which are very tribal, still come into basketball when it comes to like these sports writers because they cover everything. And when it comes to hometown fans, because when you are – when you're not in New York or L.A., although ironically those teams have a, the largest bases, but when you're not in New York or L.A., if you grow up with a team, that could have been your primary source of entertainment. So you're not going to change your jersey. You're going to be tribal about it. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that when your memories are around the team and the fences have changed. It just goes back to what you're saying about what's wrong with the other way. I appreciate this individual's talent, and I'm going to enjoy him on whatever team he plays for. There's also nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I think there's no wrong way to be a sports fan, really. Although I think everybody kind of frowns on the bandwagon fans who are unwilling to watch a losing team. And I think that's where it comes from, is people don't like it when you have a team and they experience rough times and you're not around to feel that pain the way they felt the pain of the ups and downs of their teams. And I think that's why people try to form this, you know, bandwagon fan, fair weather fan, you're just following this player, you're not a true fan. I think that's where a lot of that particular tribalism comes from, is you haven't been through the fire. So like if the Knicks theoretically, hypothetically get Kevin Durant and whoever else, and they win a championship, right? Which I don't think it's going to happen. But if that happened, us Knicks fans, we don't want to see any of these people who've made fun of us for every single thing that's happened in the past 15, 20 years. Yeah. And that's what that is. Yeah. I mean, listen, even despite what I'm saying and me as a guy who is a fan of players, I'm still a Knicks fan. It doesn't yeah. affect all that. I just I just think this this idea that in many ways, I think it, it does not it fails to look at how all culture has changed in America. For example, if you go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, you would have one job. You'd work at the same plant for 30 years. And that so you just did one thing. Whereas now I know in my life, I feel like every three or four years I'm doing something new. I'm moving. I'm ch like and I think this idea that there, that somehow players moving around a lot is bad for the league. I think it's crazy. This has become a 12 year sport. Because people are so galvanized by the soap operas and the entertainment yes. factor. Player movement has been the best thing to happen to the league. I love it that it gets reshuffled and it feels like fantasy almost or like 2K where it's this guy's on this team. And I think it's the coolest thing ever. And not for nothing, 
What was the most boring thing about back in the day? It was like, yep, Carmelo's still in the jazz. Right. Now, yep. let's address that point, too. The idea that it's bad for the league. Kevin Durant joining Steph Curry was not great for the league in the sense that it shifted the balance of power. Like, it made the league less competitive because before he joined Steph Curry, we had four teams at that time that looked like they could legitimately compete for a championship. And it was kind of a pick em on who would win. And that's when it's the most exciting because what you're going to get is you're going to get really competitive semifinals. You're going to get absolutely epic conference finals. And then you're going to get, you know, Ali Frazier in the finals finals. And what Kevin Durant did was he basically forced less parity across the league in order to compete. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. And that has formed a bad picture of what the rest of the league looks like. Because if you take the Golden State Warriors out of the discussion, which wasn't really player movement, he was a free agent, right? That's not player movement. Player, like in the sense of like he just signed with a different team that's what free agents do that's literally what free agency means it's not like he demanded a trade and forced his way to golden state so you can't really draw a parallel to anthony davis or jimmy butler or any of this other stuff or even kyrie irving or guys who like manipulate the situation kevin durant caught everybody by complete surprise and that's the big one that everybody's like boo right I, i'm a i'm a boo i'm still a boo guy oh boo 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 all that boo boo but <laughs> Make no mistake, not defending it. But if you look at the rest of the league, the rest of the league is amazing. Like the league is in one of the best situations it's been in. You look at Oklahoma City and Toronto and Boston and Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Like there are so many. And obviously the Western Conference. Even the bad teams are fun to watch. Absolutely. Right. Like this is in a lot of ways the most competitive that the league has been. And I think part of the reason people are rooting for Durant to leave is because whatever team he goes to is going to join the fray. And here's my biggest problem with it. Golden State did not need Kevin Durant. 
to be a championship level team. Yeah. And they will still be like all these people who think Golden State's just going to go away. No, they're an extremely well-run, intelligent organization, and they have who I believe to be the most, the kind of in certain ways, the two most influential players in the league on the court, which are the Splash Brothers. I think the most influential players on the court are Steph Curry, uh, uh, LeBron James, Clay Thompson, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think those are the four people that drastically change the dynamics of the team. Now, while Clay doesn't change it on an MP- MVP level, he's the most effective second guy in the league. If I take Clay off of Golden State and I put him onto any of the competitive teams, literally any of them, I think they beat Golden State. You put him, trade him straight up to Oklahoma City, I, I put my money on Oklahoma City. I'm not even kidding. You put him next to Giannis, I give my vote to Giannis. You know what I'm saying? You put him next to in a healthy Lakers uniform with the rest of that squad, I think Golden State's got to be scared all of a sudden. Yeah, Same he, thing with the Rock. He plays A-plus defense, and he doesn't – he plays – so like 100% off ball. It's insane. Yes. It's, it's absolute- insane. It's insane. And so if if Kevin or Clay leaves that team, then we're in a situation where now Steph Curry has to be a guy who plays to the upper limits of his talent. And I think that's what Kevin Durant really robbed us of in the case of Golden State. Kevin Durant doesn't have to play to the upper limits of his talent. And neither does Steph Curry. In fact, neither does Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson's allowed to have a night where he goes, you know, one for nine from three-point range, and nobody says anything to him. And that's not what we want out of players at that talent level. We want flu games where if you don't play like you normally do, but you have the flu, we don't get the hero story of the fact that despite having these things against you, you persevered. The, the Golden State Warriors don't have to persevere because they have so much talent that they can all be average within their skill level and still win a championship. Outside of that scenario, player movement has been phenomenally great for the rest of the league. Paul George made both Indiana and Oklahoma City much better. Much better. Yeah. yeah you know what I'm um, saying? So one other point I kind of wanted to, to, to talk about, and this is – kind of i guess a a meta point about what what this whole thing has has made me think about is what i think is going on with players what the reason why so i I made a list right of players who kind of forced or asked to be traded or said they weren't going to resign and i feel like it was it would happen maybe once or twice a year right so it was carmelo anthony it was dwight howard it was chris paul it was kevin love right and slowly but surely, they got traded and whatever. And now, just in the last, I think, year, you have uh, Anthony Davis, Chris Stapps, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, Paul George, Kyrie, and then, not and not to mention, you know, Eric Bledsoe, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. smaller players. You know, J.R. Smith says he wants to be traded. I'm sure there's all kinds of marginal players that say they want to be traded, but they have no power, right? So, right. it's in- it's increasing, and it made me think about this... Uh, like I hate the term woke, but for this uh, for this instance, I'm going to use this this kind of. I'm sorry, Zach. Can you re- repeat that last thing you said? You I, was, cut I was saying I hate the term woke, but I'm going to. Oh yeah. I'm going to use it for this for this purpose. In that I do think what we're seeing is kind of a, a kind of uh, philosophical awakening about yeah. not free agency as a construct in the league, 
but personal agency as a concept of being a human being. And it made me think about, you know, maybe perhaps this system that kind of exists in all major sports, this idea that you enter this league and you don't get to choose where you work. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Which and that is- you are stuck. It, it frankly reminds me of slavery. Like it does. Yeah. I, I, and I know these guys are really well paid. Right. It's not slavery, but yes. at the same time, you don't have it's, – it's a crazy thing to say you don't have control of where you work. Yeah, but you don't right? have – You contr- don't have control – yeah. But think – Hold on. Yeah. I just have to make one more point about this is that – so you have all these players, right, that say they want out and everyone flips out. Everyone hates them, right? But then let's look at the inverse of that. Let's look at players who did not want to be traded. Players like Blake Griffin, Isaiah Thomas, DeMar DeRozan, Harrison Barnes, right? These guys who wanted to stay. And so when they get traded, it's, you know, the team is being, you know, they're a smart franchise. They're really ahead of the curve. Right. Or another category is players that if the franchise could trade them, right? John Wall, Chandler Parsons, uh, you know, Derrick Rose before when he was still on uh the Bulls, it has to do about we care about you only in the idea of your utility to us. How you are only in your effectiveness. Do we, so we love you, right? So Andrew Wiggins, right? They would love to trade him because he is no longer, his body mm-hmm. can no longer provide the fruits. Like you are, we love you, but only if you're useful to us. And to me, that is the pure commodification of, you know, of the, these bodies, mostly black men, and it mm-hmm. it this and I think is what ha- what's happening is there's a, an awakening where people are saying, "Wait a second, I'm not allowed to live." So if you work for Microsoft, I know you signed a contract, but you can say, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm a tender my my letter of resignation. I'd like to move on, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. No one no one's throwing a cabbage at you or nothing." <laughs> but you know, and I and I and I think, and I'm like. Maybe this whole idea of even though trades are fun and all that stuff, it's like it's a very antiquated idea, and it would be interesting yeah. to see if it, that went away at some point. Let let me come at it from another angle, because here's the truth about it: sports is creative. Sports is not pure capitalism, right? And that's where we feel the sense of betrayal because the players do laugh and cry with each other and the coaches they visit each other's families they go to some of the school recitals and stuff like that like they do these things with each other because of what the demand is right if they were just in a box yeah i mean if they were just in a factory making cardboard boxes it would be different because there's no quality requirement but players are not allowed to just show up and do their job they have to persevere above their talent. They have to literally increase their talent while they're working in order to be perceived as fulfilling their talent. They have to do things that we didn't know if they'd be capable to do. That's our measure of success. We talk about Jason Tatum. What we're saying is, will he push himself? Will he spend the extra hours off time to become greater than what he is? Will he sacrifice with his teammates in a way that allows them to be great, right? That's what we're asking. And when you do those things, you need a support system. You need your coaches to believe in you and trust you and teach you to believe and trust in either them or the organization. So when the organization makes all those promises and say, we're going to do that with you, and then the moment they get an opportunity, they go another way, 
as the players and fans of the players, we go, man, that was cold. You couldn't even call DeMar DeRozan into the office. You couldn't have a conversation with him. He found out via text, right? We go, that, that rings wrong to us, even though we understand that from an organizational, stand, organizational standpoint, they do have to do what's best for the team at the end of the day. When it comes to the players, a lot of people have complete hypocrisy where they don't ever expect – like if when the players do what's in their best interest, it's only betrayal. It's not capitalism. But here's the thing that I think guys like Bill Simmons are missing. A few years ago, when the players started to get paid a lot of money, there was this great fear that they were paid so well that they did not have to win anymore. They didn't have to be like Michael Jordan and Scotty, but they didn't have to hate each other. The AAU culture was going to infect the league, and these guys were all going to be friends, right? When we saw guys like Dwayne Wade and LeBron James just hugging and kissing after every game, no matter who won, you can tell who won and who lost when they were shaking hands at the end of the game. Most of these player signings, when guys have demanded to leave, have been because they wanted to win more. Yeah, That's a great thing. These guys have proven that that dark future is not true. They're not just a bunch of spoiled babies who are all brands, who are all just doing this to increase their money. And as soon as they get their money, they don't care anymore. Um, it happens with a few guys. Like people are accusing John Wall of that. But for the most part, you look at a guy like Russell Westbrook. He signed a $200 million contract. Now, he can't throw the ball in the ocean. But literally, every other element of his game is way better. He'll, he'll run through a brick wall. Absolutely. And, I mean, I don't know if you heard the – I don't want to diverge too much, but the story about uh, Ferguson on his team. Yeah, Terrence Ferguson had a bad night and was really down about it. And Russell called him at, like, 4 in the morning and was like, meet me at the gym. And they went out and, like, went to the gym. And he got the kid's confidence back. And the next game, he, like, shot the lights out. And he's been shooting well ever since. And they have a legit two-guard now because Russell is doing everything he can to make him successful. So most of these guys sign these contracts and do more. Most of these guys ask to be traded because the organization has utterly failed them in some way or another. That's a good thing. You shouldn't be upset about that. That's great. If these guys just took their money and stayed there and lost and allowed the organizations to do what happened with Kobe, which is basically no matter what Kobe Bryant does from here on out, he's such a superstar that you dummies are going to show up to every game anyway. So Kobe could show up in crutches. You're going to show up to watch what suit he's wearing. And we don't have to win. We don't have to draft well. We don't have to make good trades. We could hire any old coach. And it doesn't matter. Paying Kobe $24 million a year, I think it was, or something like that, is going to get us enough to fill up this entire arena every night at the expense of being a winning team. Organizations can't get away with that, and that's a good thing. The Pelicans have to be an organization to keep a player like Anthony Davis. Good. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm with you there. I just, I just think there's something about – I think what's happening – honestly, in the sports media, and I'm speaking mainly towards basketball because that's what I follow, is very, yeah. very similar to what's happening in pop political media in yeah. that you have so you have someone like Trump who shits on the media. And like John Stewart brought up something great. He was like, They're, the media is taking it personally. So they have like this, uh, yeah. uh, you know, this crusade that, so that, that shapes the way they 
cover things and the and the way they frame things. And I think that's now that's happening with the sports media because of social media. Players now do not have to go through the media to get their message out, right? So they go direct, and you have someone like Kevin Durant who was basically, you know, a little coarse and a little, you know, brushed the media off and looked annoyed, and everyone had a field day. They're like, well, if he can't handle this, how can he handle New York? I'm like, listen, man, you are – the media does understand that if you have a guy on a team who has an entire season to play – if every day he gets up there and you ask him about his free agency, you're literally sabotaging his current team. You're just yeah. waiting. And this type of scrutiny, this is what goes back to my former point about the fundamental humanity. We think as long as you pay people a lot of money, it's okay to not treat them like they're human beings. And mm-hmm. the fact is, when you do your job, like, I'm just saying, it's like, imagine if you were a surgeon, right? And right after the surgery... You have to go right to the press conference and answer questions and, talk, and be like, so listen, um, it looked like that last uh, cut in the scalpel, you know, you didn't really bring it home. It's like, what, what did you feel about that? Well, you know, I, I feel like I brought my best and uh, I think everyone <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the room did what they could, you know, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the patient, you know, no, one, just any job that was high pressure, right? Imagine like a, right. a police officer after there was a shooting, you literally right after you're done, you had to go, it was like, uh. Why do you think you uh, shot the suspect? Because on, um, well, you know, I think a uh, team is first, and uh, you know, we'll come back tomorrow, and uh, <laughs> you know, our back was against the wall. Like, no, if that was every day from the time you were 15 years old, at a certain point, you'd be like, "Get the fuck out of my face!" I just want to do my job, right? And I don't think, yeah. and we, and I'm like, people are like, well, that's part of their job. I'm like, says who? Who? Where's the rule? Well, that says you have to. Ke- Kevin touched on it, and, and he said that he said that's not your job. What he was saying was your job is to report the stories that are happening, not to come in here and create stories. And I'm tired of that. And he's right. And you know this just recently happened with Rachel Nichols. She does a show with Tracy McGrady called The Jump. I'm sure everybody listens to this. I love Rachel a- Nichols. Yeah, and she sat down with Tracy McGrady and Kobe Bryant and discuss James Harden. And Kobe said, basically, James Harden has to play the way he's playing because there's so many injuries on the team, and that's awesome, but obviously that's not going to work in the playoffs. And then she proceeded to take that last part, that's not going to work in the playoffs, and everybody took that to James Harden. And now, every show, what does James Harden think about what Kobe said about that not working in the playoffs? When James Harden answered, even before he heard what Kobe said was, well, this isn't for the playoffs. This is just because I have to do He basically said exactly what Kobe said. Even though James closed that story with that statement, because if you say the same thing Kobe Bryant said without even hearing what he said, then what you have is two professionals analyzing the situation saying the same thing. And they're still trying to color it as the former best shooting guard in the league, criticizing the current best shooting guard. In the well, he wasn't. He's not wrong. I mean, I think it's it's a it's. The perfect example of a non-story, non-story, where he says something that's fairly obvious with any knowledge about basketball, and then right. he, then they make that a story. They pass it to James Harden. He's like, "Yeah, that's yeah, I, I understand that, and we're not going to roll like that." So it's just this this passing. But I think that goes to another fundamental element that maybe you know we haven't mentioned is that ultimately the the product of the NBA probably more so than any of the four major sports 
is entertainment. You know. Well, it it goes back to what you said about politics too. Part of the reason there's almost no hope for real political journalism to be the foundation of our poli- of our politics and our journalism is because they're on 24 hours. Yeah, got to fill that time. Got to fill that time. The jump comes on 5 days a week. Yeah, got There's gotta, not <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's it's 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 really overwhelming and now I think with um Twitter hot take culture it's like it's like this uh for that was that dude uh, juicy jussy whatever that dude's name is it's like oh, yeah. something yeah. comes out right and it's usually the wrong version of it then we get the reaction then we realize we were all wrong so then we want to criticize all the people that gave the wrong reaction to the thing then the real story comes out then it's the reaction to the reaction to the reaction of what you did and it's um this kind of this speeding up of things like like Denzel had this had this great quote about the media he said the biggest problem with the media is everyone wants to be first yeah. instead of, of course. instead of getting it right. Um, but if you look at their incentive structure, as long as the media is interlinked with a capitalistic system, which is about getting the most clicks, the most eyeballs, whatever, whatever way they can monetize what they're doing, then th- that incentive structure is going to lead to some kind of bastardization of that fundamental truth or or the w- the will and want to get down with fundamental truth because it's going to be ultimately about like trump says good ratings that is as long as you yeah. have the most followers and the most views does it really matter the methodology you got there as long well, as- and that's the key there are certain uh quote-unquote industries that if you allow them to be totally capitalistic they have to their ethical core which is the purpose of the industry could right? you repeat that last Sports sentence journalism Okay, uh, there are certain industries that in order for them to be completely capitalistic, they have to sacrifice the ethical core that defines the industry. So in the case of sports journalism, sports journalism is an extension of regular journalism. And if you make it capitalistic and you say we have to profit in in the maximum way, what happens is every story that's not interesting has to by rule be reduced in priority and every story that is more interesting and in, for the purposes of our discussion we've you know pro- if not proven that to be decided that we think it is about being emotional and tribal and reactionary that's what's most instantly interesting because it triggers triggers the animal brain right it triggers the fight or flight the lizard brain um that's what you're going to put forward, whether or not it's the most important thing to discuss. And that's exactly what's happening in sports journalism. And you can make the same kind of comparison with the medical industry. Can the medical industry truly be capitalistic and be what it's supposed to be? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if people don't need to buy medicine, in a, in a capitalistic sense, the medical industry is going to fail. Yes, But in the design of what it's supposed to be it's a success you don't need doctors because you're not sick and it's the same thing with uh sports journalism if sports journalism reported the stories and made everybody more educated about sports and just had you observe it as a fan at the highest level of fan the daily stuff wouldn't be as interesting exactly for what you described 
everybody would be able to intellectually say, well, Kevin Durant's here the year, so I don't want to really discuss free agency until July. That's a lot of money lost. Yeah, well, and, and for that, I think we, we're lucky to have guys like Zach Lowe and Chris Herring who do really yeah. uh, dense, deep dives on you know, numbers and doing, you know, think pieces on like the Memphis Grizzlies and stuff like that. That is not. And one thing Zach, I thought was great. He's, he said he never looks at uh, his numbers on an article. Like he doesn't know what the, he just doesn't, he, he right. worked. And I think that's, uh, that's, 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 that's pretty great. Um, Real quick. I, w- I want to wrap this up, but let's just do a real hit quick on the New York Knicks and, uh, we don't have to go over the the trade because I actually watched one of your videos, so I know how. I think you're, you know, very rational about this, and you 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 had a very dispassionate. <laughs> I was just more stunned, and then after the first day, I was like, once I found out about the draft picks, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm okay with this. Um, even if we yeah. don't get anyone, I'm like, it's more like wipe the slate clean and just kind of keep keep it going with how it's going. Do you have any predictions or thoughts about? After the season ends and into the draft and free agency, I mean, obviously you, we won't, we don't know what pick they're going to get, and that will drastically change the uh, the landscape. But is there any? Can, can you give us any thoughts? Should we be hopeful? Yeah. Should we be pessimistic? Okay, so I I think first and foremost, uh, before we have any thoughts about the future, we need to, as Knicks fans, I think appreciate that the Knicks right now, this very moment are a smarter organization than they've been in a long time. And they have the financial freedom to be smarter, and they have, for the most part, drafted pretty well, particularly this year when I think they got three good players. I think Kevin Knox is going to be a stud. Mitchell Robinson looks ridiculous right now. And that guy did not play college basketball last year. And Alonzo Trier, at worst, is going to be a 16 point per game six man, Dude, I, I, like Do- I like Dotson. He's right? like he's like uh Iman Shumper at the sequel. Dotson not bad, right? So whether we keep all of those guys or not, I, I I love the guys we draft sentimentally, so I hope we do, but they will have value in the next two to three years. All of those guys will have value, whatever that value is, whether it's here or being moved for other kind of value. That's number one. So We don't have to jump off a cliff based on where we are right now because our worst case scenario is the development of the young talent. We are entering, in my opinion, a terrifying draft. Because going to your thoughts about the trade, I think it is very possible that Ja Ja Morant is the best player in the draft. And I think because of the fact that we have Dennis Smith Jr. and uh, we may – there's all of these discussions about Kyrie – I think the Knicks are almost definitely not going to get John Morant, and, and and particularly because he would be on a young point guard timeline. Can I give you another? I think wrinkle, it's very possible. There's sure, also the, the the possibility if they feel if they have him in tow, and then they feel like they're going to sign Kyrie and another big guy, then they could also bundle that and trade it for something else. So, let's get to that. So, what the Lakers screwed up royally is they put themselves on two different timelines. Right. I don't want us to do that. So I don't want a player over the age of 26 years old, to be honest with you, because what we are in a situation, if we wait two years and just develop the young talent we have, if the talent that we acquire is in that window, we could be the next Philadelphia 76ers, you know, 
Uh, even Sacramento Kings. Wouldn't the Knicks fans love to be the damn Kings right now? Wouldn't well, that be glorious? No, to have actually, Aaron no. Fox and Buddy actually, Hill? actually, I'm going to say say no. I think in, I think I think in many regards, what we do is we overrate the middle class at as long as it is unexpected, right? So we overpraise Brooklyn and Sacramento because we did not expect them to be good. But Ooh. hold on, hold on. But if it's ahead, the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks winning 40, 46 games for the fourth year in a row and being the sixth seed. We're like, oh, they're in a NBA purgatory. So I think it it it's always really nice when it's fresh, right? But then you have, I'll give you an example. You have a team like Charlotte who would get in the playoffs one year and be out, and get in the playoffs and always be like a six seed or seven seed. But now they're out. Same thing with with the Wizards. They were kind of in the mix. They were a four yeah. seed, they're five, and now they're kind of out. So it looks good in the short term, and it's like, oh, this is great. But there's no telling that they're going to really advance. Much past let, that. Let, and- let, let me tie this into the next because I, I want to address this. You bring up a very rational fear, all right, that you can get thrilled with being mediocre just because you've been bad for a while. I get that. The difference is do you have cap space and or perennial all-star talent? That's the key. Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox look like they are going to be very very good they look like they're going to be better than you know uh bradley beal level talent hold on no but bradley beal and john wall those are pure blue chippers but they maxed out after a while and 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 that's that's the risk you take is did are your guys going to be better than that because bradley beal and john wall were never top three at their positions really and the higher they were to top three now john Wall was never definitely never top three uh because russ steph and when james that's, Harden a li- PG, that's not totally fair considering it's literally the you know the we're in the kind of the, the the renaissance for for point guards you know it's hard to crack the top 10 you know but he was he was definitely the number one or number two point guard in the east we can at least say for for at least five years him and Kyrie kind of won a one b but I think there. I think the problem with John is that there was always a chemistry issue. That he had great defense, but he couldn't really shoot, and the team never really came together because they weren't rallying around him. And it's been said from the beginning, him and Bradley Beal don't get along, and so they have a situation in that team where they're talented and mesh together. De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield. The reason I said we would love to be them, they enjoy playing with each other. And we don't know what their ceilings are. And that's the best you can hope for, right? You don't get guarantees in the league. You have to strike gold on your own at some point. And that's what I'm talking about. Are you in a position to strike gold? The reason the Brooklyn Nets are in a position to strike gold is because they have three important things. They have a good coach, three-point shooting talent, and cap space. That's amazing to have all three of those things. And if I was a free agent, I would go to Brooklyn 10 times over before I would go to the Knicks right now because you can go to Brooklyn win now and know the talents on the way and you can add pedigree to the other New York team because they're already in New York, right? Like that's a team that it's not like they have a history of being the Clippers. They're new. So the moment you start winning, they're basically an expansion team in that sense. You can create, you can define the brand yourself. If Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn and they went to the finals, the Brooklyn Nets would all of a sudden, it would be like the Golden State Warriors. They feel like, oh, I guess this 
team is great now and you would just establish that i don't think there's a stigma on brooklyn the way there is on like the stinky jets or the stinky clippers where they have to prove that they're not what they've always been what they're always going to be not for nothing and i think this is something that can't be understated the nets are always going to be the nets and the clippers are always going to be the clippers and it's just going to i think the idea or what it seems like the idea with and they, when you heard this with lebron saying when he overheard with him with Wade, hey, it was either going to be here or the Garden, right? Yeah. Is that for some reason in the last two or three years, because because no one used to want to sign with the Knicks, but all of a sudden, whether you hear LeBron say that or Anthony Davis, apparently the Knicks are right on par with the Lakers or you know, you're hearing the Durant and Kyrie stuff. For some reason, it seems like the lore of bringing the Garden back to the promised land that players seem to think if they are the ones that can do that, it will cement their place in history in a way that it can't, that no other franchise could do. And 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 I I think that's true, but I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Let me exclusive. Let me give you a scenario. So say Kevin Durant and somebody else comes here, right? I'm afraid of Kyrie's knees. So I'm not wishing for Kyrie Irving, even though I love him as a playoff player Uh, overall, Guy doesn't play defense. Improving as a playmaker, which credit to him, but man, those knees look shaky. But whatever. Kevin Durant, whoever, maybe it's Kyrie. They come to New York. New York's super great. Awesome. Gardens back. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Spike Lee is doing backflips. Don't forget Zion. <laughs> See, I'm terrified of Zion. I'm terrified of Zion, dude. I, I don't think he's he's clearly not a bad basketball player, but if he turns into Larry Johnson, Ke- Kenneth Fareed, and Ja Morant turns into a combination of Russell Westbrook and De'Aaron Fox, I'm going to be livid, <laughs> right? Now, I don't know if R.J. Barrett's going to be better. It's just, you know, Knicks fans are pessimistic at heart most of the time. People don't know that about Knicks fans. <laughs> I, I am terrified that Zion Williams is just going to be a show and not a real true blue championship piece MVP level talent. And I do think that either R.J. Barrett or John Morant could be, they look more like NBA, you know, high, high level four and a half star potential players, right? So, I mean, John Morant looks ridiculous, man. So, but that all of that aside, if we get all our perfect situation in New York, but Kawhi Leonard went to Brooklyn, just think of what it would be like. These two teams playing four times a year, sharing articles, and then meeting up in the playoffs, New York would make just a bonanza, a circus out of that story. And both teams would profit and benefit from that. And that's what I'm saying about Brooklyn. They're in a good place. I don't think it's just, oh, they're a nice team, you know, because they don't suck. They've also, they they dug themselves out of an impossible hole and put themselves in a place where they could really grow. And, and and I think they're in a good situation. And I think the Knicks, going back to the Knicks, they are in a scenario where if they don't screw this up, they can be in the same place where they can possibly strike gold in the draft. They have money to sign free agents and they're already well coached and have good young talent. They are one or two years away from that scenario. And for that, that's my feedback on the Knicks. But they can't screw up this draft. I don't necessarily care about free agency because the money's not going anywhere. They're going to have the. They don't have to spend the the money. Here's the problem: though. the next year is barren. 
there's like no good for So what if it is? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If Kevin Durant goes to an Eastern Conference team, we aren't beating that team anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, if, our- if he does listen, if Kevin Durant doesn't go there, unless they get some combination of Kawhi and Jimmy Butler or you know whoever else is 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 available, um, I think that that changes things. But to me, Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant now, right? Um, yeah, I think specifically that he's the one guy that changes your your franchise fairly in you know for the for at least the next three three to four years um and then yeah, you, I, you, I think Kawhi is in that situation. yeah yeah I mean I love I think Kawhi is amazing there's just something yeah. you know, about Durant that just kind, kind well, of changes, change, changes the yeah. changes the picture or, or he has say, a higher offensive peak yeah um but yeah I'm I am uh I think in many ways I have to remain agnostic because essentially between all the New York and LA teams you have seven max slots yeah. Clippers have two, Brooklyn has two, Knicks have two, Lakers have one, and there's only about five main guys that everyone's going after. So someone is going to get left at the dance, more than likely, um, because you, as we know, a lot of these players like to team up, and, and more than likely we will see them go off in pairs, I imagine so. Yeah. Um and you know, and there, you know, it could be Brooklyn signing Chris Middleton for forty million dollars a year. And, uh, <laughs> and as much as I like well, Chris, they, they, they don't they don't need him because they have Karis Levert, and Karis Levert is is probably as good of a player. So they don't they don't need to get they don't need to go after anybody they don't like. Oh, Chris Middleton um, six eight though, oh, man, two inches. Yeah, I mean he 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 is, he is six eight. It's so two, two that, inches means a little. That 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 that, <laughs> that helps. But anyway, so so generally you are you are optimistic. Even though, in in many ways, I guess this is kind of a, a a pursuit that is a little needless because so many variables are unknown. Well, let me clarify. I'm optimistic that if the Knicks fail according to what the media and all of the sports talk says, that our basement is a seven-year window of no bad cap decisions, a good front office, good young players. They don't screw up the draft. You know, possibly an all-star to MVP level talent on the team. And the thing is, the the necessary outcome is if we don't get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, somebody else does. And no matter what we do outside of getting Kyrie and Kevin Durant or Kawhi and Kevin Durant or whoever, Kevin Durant and whoever else, right? Outside of getting Kevin and somebody else, we have no chance at winning the championship in the next three years. I would rather. Can I give you one position. other? Can I give you one caveat? And I'm, I'm asking if you would do this. If the Knicks get the number one pick, would you trade it for Anthony Davis? Officially, yes. Okay. All right. Emotionally, well, emotionally, I'm terrified of him because he is the operation man. You already terrified of Zion? You ter- I, You know, you a little scared, man. You acting like a little bit right now. <laughs> I, I'm a Knicks fan, man. We had a lot of trouble. Bravery was taken away when Patrick Ewan missed that layup against the Pacers. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of fear. Fear, fear and loathing in, uh, in New York City. All right, buddy. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, but uh, you know I had to get that stuff off my chest. And I okay, wanna... before I get out of here, let yeah. me just plug my my YouTube show. 
Uh, look at At Me Bro Show on YouTube where I talk sports all the time with my co-host and partner, uh, Forbes writer and sports video game reporter, Brian Unique Mazik. Okay, that's where I saw that clip. I didn't realize it was your YouTube channel. So now I have to subscribe and, uh, and, and get to more uh, more in-depth uh, genius insight. <laughs> more scaredy catness from a from a wounded Knicks fan. Dude, you scared? You scared, dog? <laughs> Hell yeah, man! All right, all right, brother. Thanks so much, and I will talk to you soon. All right, Doc. Thank you. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.